Welcome to This Functional Life, a show for women just like you, who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, purpose. We're going to deconstruct norms, uncover your deepest desires, harness your physical and mental health, and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what you want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking complex science and making it easy to understand and integrate into daily life. Join the journey to make this chapter the best ever. Let's get thriving. Hey there, everybody on This Functional Life. So today I'm talking to my friend, Dr. Kira Barr. Kira Barr blends science with soul as an embodiment coach, mind-body medicine practitioner, and dual board certified integrative dermatologist. She's empowering women around the world with the tools to help them feel more comfortable and confident in their skin through no BS conversations, straight up truths, intangible, actionable advice. Dr. Kira teaches you how to heal your relationship with yourself by reclaiming a sense of safety, trust, and pleasure through your body, which in turn cultivates self-acceptance and self-love and creates sustainable habits that align with the fullest expression of you. Her work has been featured in Mind Body Green, Better Homes and Gardens, Reader's Digest, Glamour, Self, Oprah Magazine, and more. So today, Dr. Kira and I are really going to be talking about some of the things that you probably don't know that have an impact on your skin. And it's not always about the most fancy lotions and potions. So join us and let's get into it. I am so excited that Kira is here to talk with us today, Dr. Kira. Good to see you. So good to see you. How long have we known each other? Since like 2017? At least because actually we met at um, Ben Lynch's... Shycon. Yeah, Shycon. Yes. And then it was after that, then mind chair. So yeah. So we've known each other for a while. And I'm so glad to have you on today to this functional life because we're going to talk about all the things about skincare that, you know, women probably don't really understand and the things that are missing, but I'd like for you to share your story. Like, how did you end up becoming a doctor and dermatology and really working on skin? Yeah, it's so funny. I was just really good at studying. I mean, I was not one of those people who knew they wanted to be a doctor when they were a kid. I actually wanted to be an actress which is really funny because I'm not, I'm more of an introvert. I'm not like getting out on stage and doing stuff, but so I, I, so I love to study. And at the time, you know, back in the day when we were younger, thinking about careers, there weren't all the options that there are today. Right. So it was like doctor, lawyer, teacher, engineer, yeah. And none of them appealed, but you could, you know, science was interesting. So I went to medical school and then in medical school, my uh, medical school did not have a dermatology program. So I didn't quite know what it was all about per se, but there was one week in internal medicine where they showed us derm codochromes. Okay. This is like old school, like codochrome, click, 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 right? Like totally dating. Uh, How old I am. For some reason, I knew what all the images were. And my friend like, you know, knocks me and they're like, you should go into dermatology. I was like, what? Okay. And dermatology was one of the more competitive specialties. So it was definitely um, a challenge for myself. And what I loved about derm is that it was everything that was so cool about medicine. It was internal medicine. It was pediatrics. It was surgery. It was pathology. It was, there was some aesthetics. Like I didn't have to really make a decision. 
I could do everything all wrapped in one specialty. So that is how I wound up going into dermatology. But what I learned not so long ago is really the real reason I wound up in dermatology. And it really was when my health fell apart. And the focus of my academic career had been skin cancer and melanoma. I had done a melanoma fellowship at my training at University of Michigan. And my own skin was changing, developing new and changing pigmented lesions. And there was a spot on my arm that ultimately um, was diagnosed as early melanoma. And I realized that your skin is just this messenger of telling you what's happening in your body. And my body had been shouting at me for years. I had been ignoring it. And the skin cancer was the most outward manifestation of all the stress in my life that I had been trying to suppress and ignore. So I realized that for decades, I had been uncomfortable in my own skin. And going into dermatology was kind of this aha moment, right? I was a dermatopathologist studying skin on the cellular level, then on the surface, and all the while not feeling comfortable in my own skin. So that has really led me onto this new way of practicing of how to help people heal their skin naturally by helping them calm their minds and reconnect to their bodies so they can feel comfortable in their skin. That's like a little mic drop moment, you know what I mean? Like, okay, mic drop, boom. You know, know, we always talk about in our clinic, um, we work on that, what we have to work in and on, right? Like there's this crossover. It's like, why am I in nutrition? Why am I in kind of the functional medicine side of nutrition? There's a parallel there because it is something that we had to experience and getting comfortable in your own skin and those things. And I think the fact that you made that connection, because I think many of us don't make that connection ever of like, oh, this is why I'm here and this is my mission and my goal and and where I'm at. And I want to help other people not feel uncomfortable in their, in their own skin, which is amazing. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. I, I similarly say like we teach best what we need to learn the most. And when I was a kid, this all started. So I was born with two birthmarks, which I thought were my beauty marks, but the kids on the playground didn't think that. So they called me coffee stained face as a kid. And it was, you know, as a young child, it was the first time that I had an appreciation that my skin could be a source of humiliation and shame. And I try to hide that with a suntan. So my whole childhood, I'm a brunette, but my dad's a redhead and I burn very easily and I should not be tanning. And so my whole young life, I just tried to, I was trying to hide in plain sight. Mm -hmm. I was really trying to hide who I was, trying to look different, trying to be different, trying to be pleasing to others. And it really became the compass from which I navigated my, most of my life. And you learn that hiding in plain sight is not a very comfortable place to be. And all that cumulative sun damage played out in skin cancer and all the self-loathing and all the habits that I developed led to hormonal issues and gut issues and anxiety. And, and thankfully with the work that you do and really getting to the root cause and really opening our eyes to other ways of living so we truly can thrive. 
Yeah, I think you second. I know, you know, being a kid of, you know, born in the late 60s or, you know, growing up in the 70s and particularly the 80s, you know, the dawn of the tanning bed. It was just not okay if you didn't look like some sort of beach body tan all year round. And I remember doing the iodine and baby oil, just like stuff that now would make my hair stand on end. Like, why would you do that to your body? You know, basically like a rotisserie chicken outside in the sun, you know, thinking that if I just make myself look different than what I do under normal circumstances, I can be this other person. It is hard. I remember those um, band soleil commercials, right? (laughs) We are socialized, especially those of us who are socialized as women. We are led to believe that our worth is tied to our appearance. And if you don't fit a certain mold, I mean, I'm a short brunette, like I do not, I am not tall, like, you know, like I'm athletic build and I, you know, you, you are not as acceptable, right? You have to morph yourself into some other shape, size. And I think with the skin care industry, we've also done people a disservice. There's some amazing products out there. I'm not anti-product, I'm not anti-procedure. I am anti-having other people's voices tell us our value and our worth, right? Skincare is so much more than the products that we use. Right, right. Well, you know, I was, I, I talk about this a lot on the podcast. You know, when I first started putting together my pieces for my podcast and looking at it, I was on social media, which most people know I'm very rarely on there. And I was looking at the body positivity movement, right? And I'm, you know, I'm clicking and I'm sliding through all these pictures and I'm like, there's an entire group not represented and it's basically the 40 and up, you know? And I was was like, and I think those of us in this season of life are still carrying that baggage of our early childhood, early teenhood, early twenties and all that, where we, and, and then society as a whole basically says, even if you're the elite, you know, actress of your time, at some point you age out and you become invisible. And even Polina Porskova, if you follow her, like she's talking about invisibility and she was one of the top supermodels, but it is a true sensation and feeling because we've taken that opinion that's being pushed on us by media and all these other things and owning it. Whereas we're beautiful in our own rights and our own differences in our own bodies, but we just have to realize and understand that. There's so many layers there. So there's um, data that the average American woman is spending upwards of a quarter of a million dollars on her appearance in her lifetime. And yes, it's old data, but if you look back at like the Dove data, right, like 94% or 96% of women when they were surveyed did not feel beautiful. So you're spending all of this money to feel beautiful. Most of us don't. And then we get to a certain age and now we're supposed to anti-age. What? What? Like, hello, I'm so grateful to be at the age that I am. I am, I'm, my ancestors did not necessarily make it this long. Why should we be anti anything we are? Why do we have to reject who we are, where we are at any point in time? I'm not saying there aren't things that we can do to maybe slow the clock down. There's many diet and lifestyle factors that we can use to help age gracefully and healthfully. But like, why would we want to anti-age? Right. It is. It is. It is a weird psychological mix that I think just plagues plagues women. And and if you look at the stats today, even men, the the amount of plastic surgery and 
you know, fillers and Botox and all the other stuff that is actually has this extraordinary growth in the male market, you know, comparatively. And it and the underlying piece is this sense that we're not enough. However, we are designed is not enough. Right, exactly. And I again, I am not anti-Botox filler procedure. In fact, there are some good studies on Botox and depression. Mm-hmm. And it's not that there's anything magical, right, about Botox, but if you can't move the muscles that when you look in the mirror and you're scowling at yourself and you're just berating yourself and you can soften that expression, it opens a window of opportunity to maybe have a little bit of a kinder, more compassionate conversation with yourself. I'm all for that. The challenge is many people go into these procedures, which cost thousands of dollars and you have to repeat them every couple of months, um, at least for Botox, it's a little bit longer for fillers, but go in thinking, well, if I do this, then I will be more lovable, more worthy, more valuable, more this, more that, right? Enough. The return on the investment is never there unless we do the inner work first, right? right? And I guess that doesn't pay the bills for the, <laughs> for, the, for the media industry, but it's like, but when you start from that point and you're like, I love myself so much, I want to adorn the outside to match how I feel on the inside, your return on investment is so great, right? Because it is an investment. This stuff costs money. Like if you want to return on your investment, it's worth spending a little time to get really curious about what your intention is. And if your intention is, you know, doing this is going to make me like myself better. I think that's not the best place to start because you'll just get disappointed right yeah or there's the next one and the next one and the next one yeah. never enough mm-hmm. never enough so that brings me to kind of your your uh, a good question for you so what what is your definition of skincare because obviously it's way broader than a bunch of lotions and potions and injectables yeah totally and if you had asked me this 10 years ago when i was practicing traditional medicine i would have said all of those things it's prescriptions it's you know what I can give you. It's everything outside of yourself. But what I've come to realize when my own health fell apart, and I really had to take a hard look at what I was doing, I really define skincare as connection and relationship. And it's the connection and relationship to ourselves. Many people may not appreciate that our brain and our skin are derived from the same embryologic layer of tissue. So there is a bi-directional communication between our brains and our skin at all times. So when there's activation of our stress response, your skin is both a source and a target of all the hormones, all the inflammatory signaling that is circulating throughout your body. Your skin actually has the exact same capacity to generate those stress hormones. So I see skincare as connection and relationship to our thoughts, our beliefs, our behaviors, and especially that relationship to ourselves. Essentially, skincare is everything, everything you think, feel, and do because it either influences what's showing up on your skin and or it's influencing how you feel in it and how you're showing up in the world, in your career, in your relationships, in your bank account. So I, you know, I'm a little bit biased, but I think skincare is everything. (laughs) I would agree. You know, how many times do you have somebody come in that, you know, might have a little bit of rosacea, a little bit of acne, their GI tract is is messed up. They've got acid reflux all the time and they're a nervous wreck. They talk about their anxiety. It's like, you can't 
strip those pieces away from each other. They're related and they're intercommunicating. You, you can't, but the skin happens to be the most outward expression. You could probably hide all those other things. You know, maybe nobody will know that that's happening, but the skin's going to show it. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the greatest points and probably the most, you know, maybe controversial thing to say is, you know, there's the makeup industry and all the products. Like the whole point is for, for the outsiders to say, okay, you have a blemish, you have dark circles. We need to cover those up. Here's the camouflage. Here's the makeup. And I want to shout it from the rooftops. No, listen, if you're going to an event and you, and you want to make worse to make fine, 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 fine. But what is showing up on your skin is information. Your skin is not trying to sabotage you. It is not trying to make you have a bad day. It is offering information that something is happening beneath the surface that needs your attention. So to your point about rosacea and that that gut skin connection, the research is there. This is not subjective. We are now finding that dysbiosis and, 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 and the flora in the gut and the percentages or certain strains do make a difference and contribute to the inflammation that is showing up in rosacea patients. So what you're seeing, like your skin is your greatest asset, your greatest ally. So yeah, use what you see (laughs) to your advantage. (laughs) Exactly. You know, it's funny as I've gotten older, I wear less and less makeup and anybody that's watching me. Yes. I get my eyelashes done. You want to know why? Because then I don't have to bother with eye makeup. It's great. Like I wear powder and lip balm, occasionally some lipstick and a little bit of blush. Like I wear a lot less today than I ever did before as I get older, you know? Yes, I'll yeah. cover up things if I'm going and doing something special, but it's funny how, how little I wear as, I, as I've aged. Yeah, I mean, I wear um, a tinted moisturizer with SPF 30 and it's like my foundation. I love it. It's got a little hyaluronic acid. It comes on smooth. I wear it whether I'm indoors or outdoors. And that's another thing. Most of us, because of the pandemic and then the transition, like many of us are still virtual. We're sitting in front of screens all the time. My computer's in front of a window. Upwards of 90% of all visible signs of aging are from UV exposure, right? So UVA rays, which are the longer rays, the aging rays, they penetrate your window glass. So if you're sitting in your office and you're like, I'm not getting sun. Yes, you are all day long. If you're sitting in front of a window and the blue light from our screen can also impact your collagen, your elastin and your melanocytes to cause hyperpigmentation. So whether you're indoors or outdoors wearing a tinted moisturizer, with SPF 30 or above, and I'm all about the mineral-based sunscreens and tinted, the iron oxide in the tint is what's going to give you the protection from the blue light. So I wear very little makeup as well, but I do tend to wear the tinted uh, moisturizer on a daily basis and maybe a little bit of lip stuff so it shows up. But I I tell you, the the less I wear, I feel like the better because then I can see what's happening. I can see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have SPF in mind. Just, you know, everybody laughs. Now I wear a big hat and I've got, you know, sunscreen shirt on at all times. And I'm like, I, there's enough damage already here from what I did when I was a young person. I don't need to add to that. <laughs> yeah, totally. And now, yeah, exactly. I mean, skin cancer is the most prevalent cancer in the United States, Canada, and other parts of the world. So why wouldn't you do whatever you could to protect yourself? And it's not just, you know, sunscreen. And, you know, the, the big hats are great. Glasses are great. Clothing is great. Seeking shade is great. But it really is an inside job first. How do we build our resilience from the inside out? 
with nutrition and sleeping and really getting in tune with what's happening in our world, what our relationship is to stress, right? My stressors are not the same as your stresses and relationships. So all of that and learning how to manage that stress is going to be a significant impact on the health, integrity, um, and resilience of your skin for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, you know, we talked a little bit about like the gut relationship to the skin and some of the other root ones. What, what ones haven't we talked about? What other root causes of skin ailments would you love to like, let's make sure we talk about these because I think not everybody knows that. Yeah. So for me, it always comes down to stress always. So that's, you know, I learned the hard way when my skin um, was changing all those biopsies, it really connecting all the dots was stress. And my skin was the most outward manifestation of that. You could see it was the most visible. And when we talk about stress, it's not just mental and emotional, though that is a big component. It's like this exposome, right? All the things in our environment that cause stress, the UV exposure, the air pollution, the toxins in our personal care products, our household products, if we're not getting enough quality sleep. So I always talk about lifestyle factors, but I do, at the very root of it too, circle back to the mental and emotional stressors that we experience on a day-to-day basis. And most of us have not been taught how to manage and navigate that. And especially with trauma, you know, big T, little T, and, and understanding that all of us, whether we realize it or not, have experienced things in our lives that impact us in ways that dysregulate our nervous system, which creates hormonal imbalances all around the body and shows up in many ways on the skin with hair thinning, hair loss, you know, rashes, um, gut dysfunction. So I think I always come back to stress in in all its forms. And that's why I spend the majority of the work that I do teaching people tools and resources, mindfulness practices, visualization, meditation, sound healing, all the things I would have thought were (laughs) woo-woo 10 years ago, but I found they're incredibly beneficial. And the research shows there is a significant connection between most skin issues. I mean, if you think about it, I know I'm babbling on, but Upwards of um, 90% of all doctor's visits are for stress-related issues. Skin issues are the number one reason that people go to the doctor. Yeah. So skin and stress are intimately connected. And if we are not addressing how to help people manage their stress, then we are doing them a disservice and we are missing one of the most potent prescriptions, quote unquote, from their skincare regimen. Yeah. I mean, I agree as a nutritionist and, you know, I run a bunch of labs on people do a lot of things, have all kinds of professionals in my office. And it's so, you know, it's so funny because I can sit down and go, look, I'll run all these tests. And I can tell you right now, like this, there's the elephant in your room. (laughs) It's your stress level. And believe me, I've tried because I'm a type A, I'm going to try and work around it and, and I can outdo everybody else. And I can promise you until you address this and you address it probably in a multifaceted approach, you know, not just, I'm going to meditate for five minutes in the morning and let it go. Like if you don't, like we, we can only make so much inroads. There's just so much that we can do 
medically, nutritionally or whatever, because that, you know, at the end of the day, that's the organism's messenger that we're not safe and we may die. Exactly. Exactly. And, and this is, um, I was sharing earlier, but I just presented at the American Academy of Dermatology trying to bring this work forward because I know that my colleagues don't have, if they're an insurance-based model, they have seven or 15 minutes to try and deal with all the things and address the concerns that a patient is bringing in, which are so valid and important. Everyone deserves to be seen, heard, and validated. And giving them tools to manage stress, there's just not that time. So that's where I feel like, all right, this is where I can be helpful. I have, you know, a programmatic way you know, we, we spend, you know, eight weeks together and you learn skills over a course of weeks, but the return on the investment lasts a lifetime because you now know how your body responds to things and how to soothe yourself and how to give yourself what you need without looking outside, right? We have been conditioned in Western medicine, especially to always look outside ourselves for answers, but that is not where the answers are. Yes, we may need surgery. We may need that outside help for sure. I mean, I am not, I have not gone all the way to the extreme. <laughs> I, there, there is a bridge. We need a village. Really, we do. But I feel like some of the most important pieces have been left out of the traditional medical equation for way too long. No, I agree. I mean, you made me think about when you said, you know, you're seven to 15 minutes. I had to establish care with a new dermatologist. Um, my previous one had retired and I went in for a check. I mean, anybody that can see me sees I have a bunch of things look like moles and other stuff, some nice vegetable things. And I've almost felt physically violated. I had the fastest mole check I ever experienced in my entire life. I mean, I think I was, she was in and out in less than eight minutes. And I was just like, oh my gosh, how is it possible you really looked at all of these <laughs> in all of medicine? I, you know, not to get into this really, you know, crazy uh, sort of tangent, but that throughput model doesn't allow people to really get the care that they need in the provider. Even if they wanted to, they can't spend the time that they need to educate and, and give any real information other than yeah, you're nay, you're good or bad, right? Here's your prescription. Yeah. And it's so vital that people learn these other skills because the ultimate thing, like what you're saying, is if they don't learn how to give their physical body also a way to manifest and move through that stress, not just playing with mindset, that their chance for other chronic disease is going to go up because the statistics are there that they will. You know, if they don't already have them, they will, especially as we age. Yeah, totally. Again, we teach best what we need to learn the most. What I presented at the American Academy of Dermatology, uh, one of the, the presentations was how stress directly affects the tumor life cycle, right? So 90% office visits for stress-related ailments, skin issues, the number one reason people go to the doctor, skin cancer being the most prevalent cancer in our country, stress plays a role. And there is the data that supports that activation of the stress response and release of stress hormones, particularly our catecholamines, bind to cells and contribute to tumor initiation, progression, metastasis, and morbidity and mortality. So if we are not addressing how to manage stress, like cancer's a big deal. And I'm not saying that mental and emotional stress is the only contributing factor. But once you get a diagnosis, the stress of navigating your cancer diagnosis and your survivorship, that's stress too. So having these tools and learning these tools is so valuable and important, and it doesn't need to add a lot to your to-do list, right? It's like breathwork. We're already breathing, but most of us aren't paying attention. We're not intentional about 
how am I breathing? Wait a second. Am I holding my breath? And just paying attention, just in that moment, just pausing. Yeah. And activate that relaxation response without doing anything different, really. So true. It's so true. Yeah. So for anybody that didn't know what catecholamines and those things are, those are your fight or flight, your cortisol, your adrenaline. Yeah. Your yep. Turns on all those receptors and just turns up the tumor tuber cell activity. And that would be true of all cancers, not just skin cancer, all of them. Right. That data was actually um, breast cancer, lung cancer, all different types of cancer, but they are also, they have done studies specifically in skin cancer and especially looking at mind-body therapies in a programmatic setting have helped reduce symptoms associated with the adverse effects of chemotherapy and also how people feel dealing with the stress of cancer. So, um, so valuable. And I, but I did want to circle back to what you said about feeling violated by your dermatologist. I will in, in defense of dermatologists, like we are trained our eyes to like, and visual recognition and patterns and, 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 and connecting the dots and putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Literally I could scan you in like 30 seconds and, and, and be able to pick out like, okay, we need you to do this. Now we have dematoscopes and other things, other tools that can help us really look at it a little bit more closely. So I don't want anyone to, to fear that your dermatologist may not be seeing stuff. They're, they are highly skilled and trained to do that. Now I'm not saying all dermatologists aren't like giving you the gloss over, but this is why I always tell people to party in their birthday suit on the date of their birthday, every single month, checking your own skin from head to toe, you know, top to bottom, between your fingers, between your toes, get a hand mirror, check your intimate bits, because you know, you are going to know your skin better than anybody else. And you will know if anything is growing, changing, itching, or bleeding. And you bring that to the dermatologist. Yeah. So checking your own skin, getting comfortable with your skin, being comfortable in your skin, all of it. So, so important. So I encourage everyone to get naked, party in your birthday suit, make it a date night. Everyone's naked, you know, to do your thing, have fun, check your skin. And then like, you know, go back to your night. So no, I think, I mean, I think it's true because especially if we don't feel comfortable in our own skin, a lot of times we're going to avoid the areas and parts of our body that we don't like. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of gloss over that and not look. And we are the ones that are most, most capable of noticing something different and change. As a matter of fact, I went to that dermatologist because I started getting, you know, like little freckle things like on the inside of my hand, on the palm. And I'm like, that's not normal. You know, I was like, somebody needs to check that out. So I think, you know, it's, it's recognizing we need to be that person too, because your dermatologist is absolutely going to look and see, but you'll see it long before that. Right. You'll, you'll know something's going to change. And the other thing too, is recruit all your team, right? Like your hairdresser, have them look in your scalp, your optometrist or ophthalmologist to look in your eyes because melanoma can occur in your eyes. Uh, skin cancer on the eyelids is also not uncommon in your mouth. Get your dentist, right? Your, your OBGYN to, to look in your intimate bits, like recruit everybody before you get your manis and pedis. Look at your fingernails because melanoma can occur underneath the nail. Yeah. So just check, just check, 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 check. We get really familiar with the skin you're in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree so much. So obviously we've talked a little bit about this. So what would you say is the most important prescription? If you were to give like, here's your prescription for your, your skincare routine, what would you give? For me, it's, it's, it's always um, learning how to manage your stress. 
in, in all its various forms. So, you know, we talk about, I think sleep and stress are probably a hand in hand prescription I would give. Beauty sleep is no joke. It's real. It's a real thing. Our skin, you know, we talk about circadian rhythm that our body has its own natural rhythm. Well, your skin has its own clock as well. Understanding that nighttime is when your skin actually loses more water. So using a thicker moisturizer in the evening, um, you may be itchy and, you know, it's like using your medications at nighttime is really important. Your skin repairs and rejuvenates and heals itself at night. Melatonin, which we generate mostly, you know, in the dark and, and the greatest production at night is one of your body's most potent antioxidants for helping repair the DNA of your skin, as well as, you know, other cells in your body as well. So sleep is so important. And when we don't sleep, you know, it impacts everything else and activates that stress response. So I think sleep is a huge one, but also learning simple techniques like breath work or going for a walk in nature, or, you know, I teach visualization and somatic practices need, it doesn't need to be complex, but I would say learning to some tools in your toolkit to regulate that nervous response. Yeah. Because your skin is, it's, it, you know, it's a target and a source. So you're going to notice things shifting and changing on your skin if you do not know how to manage your stress. Absolutely. So one other question, which I'm sure you probably answer this all the time. So obviously we talked about, you know, daily moisturizer that, or something that has sunscreen. What would you say if, if someone could only do, say, three, three things? Like if we were to go, okay, like let's get down to the bare minimum. Because believe me, I could drop some cash on some stuff, right? And I know all of us, if we looked in our cabinet in our in our bathroom, it's probably full of crap most of which we don't use or we try and use and it doesn't work and la la la. And then we buy another thing online. What would be your top three? And let's say a woman who maybe has aging skin, you know? Yes. So, so it would be four things. And I am the least compliant. I am the laziest. Like I was a dermatopathologist, right? I was like behind the microscope. So I am not like your product junkie. So we're going to keep it real basic. You need a gentle cleanser like a, even a non-soapy cleanser, just a gentle kind of pH balanced cleanser. And even if you don't wash your face in the morning, okay, let's just say you got to rush out the door, wash your face at night. Okay. Wash your face at night because you've been, let's just say you're not working from home, or even if you are in room, and if you, you've been outside, you want to wash all the air pollution, all the, the gook off your skin before you go to bed. So you need a cleanser. An antioxidant serum would be great. At a minimum, vitamin C, vitamin E together, because the research shows they have, they together, they are, they are potent in and of themselves, but together they, they work well and, and give you the most bang for your buck. An antioxidant serum to help repair any damage that's been done from the day before, and also to replenish some of your reserve to help prepare your skin for the damage it may encounter by going out in the sun, right? Because Upwards of 90% of visible signs of aging are from UV exposure and air pollution. So you want to protect yourself. So a cleanser, uh, an antioxidant serum. For the rejuvenation portion, right? For those of us who are maturing and we want to increase skin cell turnover because as we mature, that skin cycle, like it slows down a bit. So then you, you might notice your complexion is a little sallow, a little dull. So you want to use something that's going to speed up that process and also help your skin um, naturally uh, jumpstart collagen production. So that would be a retinol, a retinoid or a retinol, a vitamin A derivative. So I'm a big fan. My, 
my chairman, uh, when I was uh, training in dermatology, he did a lot of the research on Retin-A, which is the trade name. He had no wrinkles, none, like no wrinkles at all. And the only way you really knew how old he was, because at that point he was like in his seventies and he hadn't aged one bit in like, and he had been the chairman for what seemed like a gajillion years, looked at his hands and his neck. So that's another tip when you are trying to, um, yeah, you want to maintain that youthful appearance, treat your neck and, your, and the back of your hands as well. Okay. So you've got a cleanser, you've got an antioxidant serum, you've got a topical retinoid, and then your SPF 30 plus your tinted moisturizer on a daily basis to protect yourself from those UV rays. So that's four products. Yeah. I mean, it's totally doable. I have to, I have to admit, I don't generally wash my face in the morning because it just seems to dry it out a little bit more now that I've gotten older and my skin's drier, you know, but I definitely wouldn't go to bed without washing my face, you know? Yeah. So the thing, the, the, the only caveat I guess is the topical retinoid. It can make you more sun sensitive. So if you are using one at night, start low, use a little small amount, maybe every other night or so until you build up a tolerance, see how your skin does. But you do want to wash that off in the morning and you definitely want to protect your, your skin from the sun because uh, it can make your skin a little sun sensitive. So you want to maintain the benefit that you're trying to get by using these products. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And also if you get waxed, like that, this is why your esthetician, when you go get your, your face waxed, mm -hmm. they're like, have you been using a retin-A? It's because it makes your skin a little uh, more sensitive um, when they, if you are doing waxing, it might actually, um, you might get little micro tears and then your skin may be a little bit more red following the treatment. That's not unexpected, but that is exactly why they're asking you. Okay. Oh, that's good to know. I never knew that. Here we go. There you go. All right. Well, here, thank you so much. You've given so much great information, and I think really helped women understand that it isn't necessarily spending, you know, five, six, seven hundred dollars a month on your skincare routine. That there's other things that they really need to address to get kind of under the underlying root cause of why their skin may not be where they want it to be. Now, you had something you wanted to give our listeners. It's a quiz, right? Yeah, it's a quiz. So it's it's um. You know, I think most people are looking for like, why, why is my skin not looking right? Why don't I feel comfortable in my skin? And they're looking for all the products, all the pills, the prescription. Well, if you take this quiz, your skincarequiz.com, you will find out exactly what's going on and what you can do about it. Great. Great. Well, awesome, Kira. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for sharing your knowledge on this functional life. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this functional life. You are why I'm here and I am so very grateful. You're here for a reason. I celebrate your commitment to claiming your youthful energy and stepping into this next phase of life, feeling vibrant, healthy, and powerful. I am so proud of you. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD. And if you want a chance to share your story with our tribe or find out more about working with my team, you can sign up at chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. Again, that's chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. See you next week. Bye-bye.